Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys here today. I'm really glad that we're inside today. You may remember there was an announcement last week to bundle up because we're going to be outside. We found out yesterday afternoon that they finished all the work on the electrical uh, yesterday afternoon. And so we were able to do a lot of scrambling. In fact, the things you see up here, we weren't expecting to do up here. And there were several people that just scrambled together and they made this happen at the last minute. I'm really Really appreciate everyone that has really made this happen this morning. And I'm really glad that I'm not freezing. I don't know about you guys too. Um, well, this morning, uh, by the way, my name is Jeep Underwood, if you were wondering. Uh, but we're going to be continuing a series that we started on just the amazing grace of God. We've been looking at that in some detail. And we've been looking at how when you connect to God's grace, the huge impact that that has on your life how that really changes. It's a game changer. It actually moves you from death to life. And the first week, we looked at how really to receive God's grace, you have to come to the place where you know you don't deserve it. And then as you accept Him, then what happens is His life and His grace floods yours. And you connect to really the life that you've always wanted. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how we don't have to let our regrets from the from our past or even from the past week, really hamper us from the future and really control us. That we can actually, because of God's amazing grace, we can actually, in the face of our regrets, turn around and face the future with hope. And that when we do really, when we come to that place where we know that we don't deserve His grace, that's the point at which we surrender to Him and that our whole identity changes. And we looked at just how we become His kid. We get adopted in the family, become his kid. And uh, the, the picture that we kind of painted was from Psalm uh, 37, where it says that, you know, God takes us by the hand. So, like, when we, when we step into the kingdom, what happens is God takes us by the hand as his kid, and he walks along. We talked about how, you know, there's almost nothing you can't do when daddy holds you by the hand when you're a little kid. You can jump over all kinds of things. And we looked at that and how God really wants to walk into our lives with us we looked at the grace of God with us, how God wants to walk in our lives and he really wants us to have a meaningful life. And then last week, we looked at how God has just uniquely designed each one of us to be uniquely who we are. And there's a place that he has for us that he's designed for us. Uh, and we uh, we looked at, we spent some little time, just looked at Ephesians chapter 2.10. And we looked at, the, there's a phrase that says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that that word workmanship really comes from the Greek word that we get the word poem from. So we looked at how really we are an artistic expression of God. And uh, he sat down and he actually designed us from the very beginning. And he thought, you know, I, I want one of them. And he thought what that was and he designed us from the very beginning at the very DNA level. And uh, we're not just some assembly line product. We're actually, we're actually a unique individual that God has specifically created. And I'd like to, this, kind of as we've been going through this recap, I'd like to end with one of the verses we looked at last week, and that was Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5.1 just says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom. We, we, well, one thing that we brought out last week was it's in the complete freedom that we have in God's grace that we can really venture out. And really discover it is, who it is that we are. And 
really who he's really created us to be. We, we have the huge safety net to where we can really try things out. And really that we get, we get to know who we are. We come to a place where we really accept who we are and we can really be who we are. And I wanted to, I wanted to kind of remind us of some of those things before we talk today because, you know, it's easy to forget everything that I just covered as you live your life. As you begin to try to please God with your life, it's so easy to forget these foundational things that are always true about God's grace, that you can't earn it. And it's easy to get stuck into kind of feeling like I have to perform well so that I can have God's favor. But as we go forward in this message series and as we continue on, we, have to, we need to always remember and always be preaching actually the gospel to ourselves that these things are the truth. And this is really how God relates to us. And so... Um, this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to turn and begin looking at what kind of people does God want us to become? What kind of people does God want us to become? And to start that off, I'd like to just tell a quick story about uh, just something that happened just a few months after Jesus was crucified and he was raised again from the dead. Uh, a couple of his followers, Peter and John, were, uh, were going to the temple. And as, as they're going to the temple at the time to pray, they noticed this guy uh, that uh, everybody had seen all the time. He's 38 years old. He had been lame from the time he was born, and he had never, ever walked. And Peter and John, they walk in, and he's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the person that most people probably, they, they just got so used to seeing him that they just didn't see him anymore. And we walk in, and Peter looks down at him, and he, he says, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of money, he said, but... I do have something I'm going to give that to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand and he pulls him up. And the man, for the very first time in his life, begins to walk. He actually has strength in his legs. And it's a pretty exciting moment for him. He's like jumping around. They can't hardly contain him. He's just really excited. And it kind of creates this big, this hubbub of things happening around. And so Peter and John, for this, are arrested. That's the common thing that happens um, when you do something really cool. But... You know, they, they actually, they, they, he, Peter gets this chance to really share the truth of what Jesus had done. And the, the rulers of the time, they, they grab him and they arrest him, spend him, sends him in jail overnight. And they bring him back in and, and they ask him this question. They ask Peter and John this question. It says, by what power and what name are you doing all these things? And Peter, he explains some things very clearly. And then he ends with, um, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And as he says that, the people, he's saying this in front of the very guys a few months earlier that condemned Jesus to death. In front of those very same guys. And as, as the Sanhedrin, as this council of, of uh, rulers look at them, they, they observe some things. I want to, this is what Luke records. It says, now as they observe the confidence of Peter and John, and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You know, they look, you know, I'd love for someone to be able to look at me and go, you know, he's uneducated. <laughs> like, that's, that's really, that's not really what my goal in life is. You know, actually, he doesn't, he's, uh, he's not doing too well. But they look at him, they go, you know, these are uneducated guys. They're Galileans, they look like they're fishermen, for goodness sakes, and and then they're untrained. They haven't been trained in like the things that we, that we learn here in religious circles. And, but then they observed their confidence. And they saw the way they're holding themselves and the way that they really approached what the truth was and how the confidence they had in front of them. And it says they were absolutely amazed. 
And the only thing they could, as they looked at their, as they looked at these guys, they said they, they begin to realize, you know, the difference for these guys is they, they've been with Jesus. You know, they remind me of somebody. They, you know, they, you know, these guys remind me of somebody. And they, they recognized that it was the time they spent with Jesus that just marked their lives. Now, Peter and John were wired very different from each other. But one thing they had in common is that they really had exhibited the character of Jesus Christ. Because they'd really exhibited Jesus' character. And that really is, that really is God's goal for each one of us that have, that have stepped into the kingdom and become His. Because He really wants for us, over time, that as people get around us, that we would remind them of Jesus. That we would actually be like Him. And that's really what He wants. In fact, in, Paul says in Romans 8, uh, 29, he says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What God is ultimately, what he's really interested in is that we would really become more and more like his son over time. And he's really interested in our character development. He really, he really wants us to live our lives the way Jesus would live our lives if Jesus were us. He really wants us to, to live our lives the way Jesus would live our lives if Jesus were us. And that kind of character development, to be able to develop that over time, it takes time. It takes a lifetime. Uh, in fact, in Philippians 1.6, it just says, For he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so when we become believers, we step into a process where God is really working in our lives. Now, I heard a I heard an illustration I heard an illustration a few years ago that compares our spiritual growth just to uh, how what we did during World War II when we had to take over the Pacific Islands. So the, uh, my, my uncle, I had a great uncle who was a Marine that uh, stormed a couple of beaches uh, during the Pacific, and he never did talk much about it. And I know it was something that was very, very difficult time for him. Uh, but what the what the what the Allies did. Uh, when they came into one of these one of these islands, the Japanese had taken over all the islands. They had to take them all back. And they, they would they would uh, kind of knock down the resistance by a bombing pattern from the ships that were offshore, and then they would send in some marines. They send in some small groups of marines. They just come in, take some territory, and create a beachhead on that island. And then what they would do is they would then once they had that beachhead established, they'd begin taking territory after territory until the whole island was taken back. Now that's really that's really very similar to what happens when we become a, when we become a believer and we step into God's grace for the first time is is that before Jesus invades our life and we become believers, He allows things to happen in our lives that really brings us to the place where we know that we need Him and brings us to the place where we know we don't deserve Him. He brings us to that place, and then when we get to that place and we accept Christ and we open up to Him, then what He does is He comes into our lives and He establishes a beachhead in our lives. He takes over the territory that we have. Everything that we understand about ourselves, we surrender to Him. And He takes a beachhead in our lives. And then He begins the campaign over time. He begins taking over different territories in our life. As we discover who we are and as we spend time listening to Him, we begin to, He begins to teach us different things that he wants us to learn. He begins to take over more and more of our lives. And we begin to live lives that are more and more pleasing to him. And I really think this is one, I think this is a picture that, that 
that really is reflected in what Paul wrote to Titus. And that is, you know, the title of our message today is just taught by grace. And it comes from this passage, Titus uh, 2, 11 and 12. And Paul said this, he said, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. You know, the very same grace, the very same grace that brings us salvation is the very same grace that really teaches us to really live lives that are pleasing to him. It's the same grace that does that. In fact, it says the grace of God teaches us that the word teach there is, it comes from a word that just, it means like raising your kids. Uh, it's a word that it means, it encapsulates like uh, child rearing where you have, it's done in the context of love and there's instruction that you need, that you uh, need to bring. There's, a, there's also correction and discipline that needs to happen as you're raising your kids, as many of us know. Now, we do know, you know, a dad, uh, a dad holding this kid by the hand is just, it's a, it's a special moment in life. But this morning, if my dad was still holding my hand and we were walking along here and I was jumping over things and he was saying, you can do it. You guys would think that would be a little strange. I just, I just, I hope you think that a little strange. Um, there's, there's, there's a point at which you really need to grow up. And that's what, as a dad, you know, you start off, you have, you're holding your kids, you're helping them, but you really want them to grow up. You want them to begin to learn how to take on responsibility. I remember uh, a few, a uh, couple of years ago, the colonel where I work, he, he, he went around, he wanted to meet with several groups of us to get to know us, and we had lunch with him. And he'd, every time we had lunch with him, uh, he would ask some questions. And one question was, what, what are hobbies you have? And he, this would kind of go around, and people would say all kinds of things. And I, as it was coming around, I thought, I don't have time for a hobby. I don't know. I just, uh, and so as he came back around, I said, well, I guess my hobby is teaching my kids to be productive members of society. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was just, it was just, he, he cracked up about that. He goes, you know what? I'm doing the same thing. There's something about being a dad. You want your kids to grow up and be able to really enter the world and be productive there and really make a difference. And so, you know, as you grow, your, your dad, as a dad, you want to just continually give an instruction and continually correcting and disciplining in love because there's some lessons that really need to be learned. And so dads, they love to challenge their kids. Moms are great and they're essential and they really nurture the kids. I mean, I remember as a kid just running to my mom for all kinds of things. I probably still do. But with the dad, he has a special role where he really challenges kids. And I remember... Uh, when, uh, Patrick, my son graduated from eighth grade, I wanted to give him a computer that he could use when he went to college. That was, that was the gift I wanted to give him. And I just had this idea as I was thinking about it is, is I bought him all the components of a computer and I gave him a pile of components and I said, you put it together, you have a computer, you know, and that, that, um, it was fun. It was really fun to watch him figure that out and put that together and then use that computer. It's just something about a dad where you love to see your kids really make progress. Now, a good dad also just, he disciplines and corrects so that the lesson is really learned as you're going through life. When it's, when it's littler, you know, when you're, when you're littler, you have a, you have your kid and, uh, they're, they're littler. You go outside in your front yard and you have a road in front of your house driving by and you don't, you don't teach them things like, 
don't run across the road because you'll get hurt. When they're really little, you teach them, don't touch the sidewalk. You know, you don't even, don't even go within this distance of the sidewalk. You begin to set up boundaries for them and really teach them these lessons because that really matters for them. So, you know, a good dad, as you, as you continue to grow, uh, as you begin, as they begin to really teach you lessons, they begin to really try to help you figure things out. Um, if you don't listen, if you start not listening, then what they do is they, they make conditions harder around you until you do. Because the lesson is that important. That's what a good dad will do. Pressure begins to build, and then once they get your attention, uh, you begin to listen and learn. You begin to listen, and you begin to learn, and actually begin to put into practice the things they're teaching you. And then the pressure starts to come off, and you begin to make progress in life. You begin to actually learn the lesson they have for you. And Proverbs, Proverbs actually, Solomon really captures this idea about dads in Proverbs thirteen twenty four. He says, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. A dad who loves their kid is taking the time, taking the effort to really be involved in the education and training of their kid and really helping them uh, really learn the lessons that they need to really learn. And uh, it involves correction and training. So this morning, what we want to, uh, what we want to look at is that God is our Father, and He's training us, and we're in His training program. God is our Father. When we when we step into the kingdom, He adopts us, and we're in His training program. He's really working in our lives to help us to really see how to live our lives. And what God does, because He is in control and He is sovereign, He uses trouble that we face to shape us. He brings trouble into our lives to really get our attention in an area, in an area that he really wants us to learn and grow in. And he does that to get our attention so that we'll begin to really pay attention to what he's trying to teach us. So how do you cooperate with God? How do you cooperate with God in this training? There's two things I want to, I want to talk about this morning. And that is, one is you have to remember the relationship you have with him. And you have to listen to him and pay attention. So you have to remember the relationship that you have with him. And you have to listen to him. And pay attention. And so, you know, remembering the relationship, just, you know, remembering that all of God's discipline, all of His training around you is really coming from His grace. It's coming from a place where He really cares about you. So what Paul, what Paul said to Titus is the very same grace that brought us salvation, this, that disciplines and teaches us. It's that same grace. And so he, he, he says this, he says, great, the grace of God, God through His grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, that word ungodliness is kind of hard to get your hands around. That word ungodliness is, it essentially means you're just disregarding God and you're ignoring Him and you're not really taking Him into account in your life. That's, that's what, that's what it means to be ungodly. He just, He just, He doesn't weigh into your factors at all. And then worldly passions are just those things that we all, that we all are tempted to pursue as the main thing in our life is possessions, status, power, maybe just having a whole lot of fun, and things that would just, uh, we'd, we try to get our enjoyment out of that, when really it's just it's an empty pursuit. Those are the things that the grace of God teaches us to say no to, because we've begun to experience really what it's like to be satisfied by God. And then it, the, the grace of God teaches us to turn away from the ungodliness of ignoring God 
And we begin to want to pay attention to him because he really cares about us. It pulls us to pay attention to him because we begin to understand just how much he cares about us. And then the grace of God also teaches us to say yes. In that same passage, the grace of God teaches us to say yes, to live self-controlled lives. It teaches us to say yes to living upright lives, um, lives that, that, do, that are just, that, that live just and right before people. And also it teaches us to say yes to godly lives, godly lives that, that really pay attention to God and really listen to what he has to say. And then really giving his word the full authority in your life and really, really paying attention to how that really plays out in your life. When you come to see God as your father, genuinely, and you know his love for you, what you, you really want to listen to him. You really want to listen to him. And then you begin to look at the trouble around you, begin to realize he's trying to get my attention. You start looking at the trouble to find out where is God putting the pressure so that I can really learn what it is he's trying to teach me. So the second thing, you want, you want to remember the relationship you have with him, but you also really want to pay attention and listen to him. Now, um, one thing I've discovered over time is that you have to be in God's word to hear from him. You have to be in God's word to hear from him. And have, you ever, have you ever been facing something and thought, God, just tell me the lesson you're wanting me to learn, and I'll learn it because this is really tough. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but when you, when you feel that way, I would encourage you to just take an honest look at just how much of his word you're taking in when you begin to feel like that because it's really easy. It's really easy to be in a place where you're not really in God's word at all or not much at all. And you wonder why God's silent. And really, he has things to say. He's trying to speak. He wants to break through. And all we need to do is just connect to him by getting into his word. And then it opens up the door for him really to connect with the things we're facing and the lesson he wants to teach us. So how do you listen? How do you listen to God? Now, there's a there's an old illustration that I that I found to be very, very helpful. and It's very true. And it's the hand illustration. Where if you really want to get a grasp on the scriptures and really listen to what God has to say, there's five things that you really want to do. And really, so five habits that you really want to build into your life. One is just you want to hear the word of God. The next, another one is you want to, uh, you want to really read the word of God. You want to study it. You want to memorize it and you want to meditate on it. That's the three things. That's the five things, the five habits. If you build those in your life, you will really make a lot of progress. You really understand what it is God's sharing with you. So you want to hear, like um, really listen to the word spoken out and hear the insights from other people. It's like what we're doing here today. And there are different times you hear someone speak on what God's word is, uh, or it could be someone sharing something in a group that you're in, but really hear what God's word has to say. And then you want to read it. You want to, you want to personally read the scriptures on a daily basis. You want to get into the scriptures on a daily basis. What that does is it opens up a whole range of possibilities for God to speak to you. And, and as you, as you do that, He really does, He really does speak with you. In fact, when you consistently spend time in God's Word, it provides a lot of opportunities for God to speak directly into your circumstances and directly into the things you're facing and help you see ways to handle it that you'd never really, you'd never thought of before. Things that He really wants to teach you. And then you want to study the Word. You want to study it. You want to take the truths that God is trying to teach you and then try to run them to ground. Go in 
and do maybe a word study on the thing that God is really bringing to your mind and really understand what God says about it and just lock that that truth in where you really understand it. And then a very, very key thing is you want to memorize key things that God is trying to speak to you on. Key, a key verse or two that really lock into what you really feel like God is really speaking to you on. So you want to, uh, what, what I found is that when you, when you memorize, it kind of, it locks a verse into your mind more. You begin to be able to think about it and you begin to carry it with you through the day. In fact, um, it's really how you pay attention. You know, I think I've mentioned several times here, a personal, a personal fantasy of mine is, is I telling my kids, Hey, here's what I'd like you to do. And they go, wait a minute. I need to get a pen. <laughs> you go, really? Okay. And as I say it, they're like writing it all down. They, then they put it into an acronym and they walk around memorizing it so that they could actually make sure they do everything that it says. My dad also had that fantasy with me, I'm sure. Um, but there's just something about when you care enough about what God is teaching you and you commit it to memory, it locks it in and it's just you begin to be able to pay attention so much more to what it is God's trying to teach you. And then, you know, uh, there's different ways to to do this, to memorize. Uh, you can write it on a card and carry that around with you, which is what I do, where you just carry it around with you into your day and, and you can review that and and continue to think about how that applies with where you're at. Or there's apps on your phone, you can fill one of those. Uh, I'm not I'm not all that versed in a lot of the phone stuff, but if you there's apps that I know several people use where you can lock in the verse and review those things. And uh, then the the last thing of these five is to meditate. And when you meditate, what it really means is just you have to you're chewing on and trying to assimilate what it is God's really saying, really trying to understand it, and how it relates to your real life, and how it relates to the circumstances and the trouble you're facing. How does this really relate with where I'm at? And then you can you can honestly think through real ways to put that truth into practice as you begin to really think about it. And it's really hard to meditate on it until you've memorized it. And so you take this truth, there's kind of a flow to a lot of this, is that one leads to the other, and you, as all of these five things are operating, you begin to have a much better grip on what it is that God's trying to teach you. And, uh, you know, as we, as one of the last things I'd like to speak on today is, I'd like to just kind of give you a picture of what this looked like, what this has looked like in my life. Um, now, I'm someone who has about a million miles to go, and there's so many areas that God is working with me on. But I'd like to just kind of share from my experience how these five things can kind of really work with one, work with each other and really make a difference in your life. Um, uh, several years ago, uh, I'm not going to tell a whole story about a project, so be encouraged. But I was on, uh, there was a, it was probably the hardest project problem I'd had as a, as a section chief, as a supervisor uh, with the Corps of Engineers. It was a project that had, it, it basically was, was on the verge of failing. It, the design wasn't going to work. The construction wasn't coming together. And the problem the problem developed, and this happened over like two or three months. It just kept rolling on and on is the finger pointing was going on. Like, okay, whose fault is it? Well, then it was, well, you know, the construction folks thought it was the engineering folks. The engineering folks thought it was the construction folks. We both thought it was the contractor. And so there's like this three group, three people just kind of pointing fingers at each other. But the reality is we had a job to be done, and we had to try to figure out how to fix this and try to get the job done. And so I've been just in this quandary. 
had just been lost in this morass of how do we navigate this because we can't get traction anywhere we go. And I remember uh, our uh, a pastor, Randy Lanthrop, came out and visited the Alhambra area. And he spoke to a lot of us here in the Alhambra area. And of, this is several years ago. He, he mentioned a, he, he brought a verse. And he was speaking on this verse from James. James 3, 17 and 18. I'm going to share that with you today. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And as he, as he was speaking on that, he, he, he really focused on that first word, the wisdom from above is first pure. And went through my, as he was describing it, he said, what that means is just having one motive. The wisdom from above has one motive. And just as he said that, what sparked in my mind was, I've had at least two motives in this problem. Uh, one was getting the job figured out. And the other one was saving face. And, and it just, it just dawned on me, that's what, that's one of the problems we're really facing. And so that just landed on me. So I went the next morning, I just spent, I read through, uh, James chapter three, and I was just trying to get a better picture of what James was saying here, and and it began to. Really, and another word stood out to me, and that was the word reasonable. And I and I just thought through, you know, a lot of times when I get into arguments, I'm trying to win them, and I'm not really. Sometimes other people will say something, I go, boy, that's a good point, but I can't acknowledge that because I'm trying to win the argument. And that word reasonable stood out, and so I thought, you know, there's 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 something big here that I really need to lay hold of, that God's trying to teach me. And so I wrote it down on a card, and I began memorizing it. And so I went to work that day, and that day we had this big meeting where the construction folks were on one side, the engineering folks were on the other side, and we're talking about this project, and it started getting really dicey. And one person on the other side said something. It was one of the leaders of the construction folks. And I just said, you know, I said, you know what, That that's really reasonable. I think we ought to make sure that's on the table. We didn't make sure we, 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 we make sure whatever we do, it takes that into account. And they looked very surprised I said that. And then the whole temperature of the room just went cool, just a little bit better. And the tension just went down. And we began to work more collaboratively in that room. And I, and it just, I, to my mind, man, that's exactly how it works. That, that verse is you, you, that's how wisdom works. One motive. I went in there just to solve a problem. And call out things that are reasonable. So then I began noticing all over my life this was applicable. You know, I began noticing that my wife had a lot of reasonable things that I had to put on the table. And I began to realize that my kids had a lot of reasonable things that I ought to put on the table and consider. And then I began to see this all over the place. I began, there's all kinds of people. There's all kinds of people I'm interacting with. They have a lot of very reasonable things that concerns that need to be on the table as we're trying to solve this problem. And then um, I began, it began to change the way I think. It just became, it became more just like a part of me, just a part of the way that I, that I approach things. And uh, then, you know, I began, I began to realize that I began to help, I began to be a catalyst for collaboration in different places I went. And just... Uh, about a year and a half ago, I was when I was the design branch chief. Uh, you know, basically the the voice, the spokesman of the engineers, the the civil design engineers. 
we had a problem. One of our feasibility studies, all the wheels fell off the cart because it, it had to be done in a month. And the, 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 the design that we put together, there were two major problems with it. It became delight that the civil design guys had made a mistake that was going to be very, very costly. And the hydraulics folks had made a design, a design error that was going to be very, very costly. And so the, all the finger pointing started. And we had to solve this problem. We had to have a new design in a month. We got in the room, and the first thing that I said, I said, you know, guys, hey, before we start, I want to say something, and that is from the civil design side, we made a big mistake, and this is what it was. I just laid out the mistake we made, and I said, unless we can figure out another way to do this project, it's going to cost us $14 million. That's what we did. Now, I know hydraulics, you guys have made a mistake as well. This can have some impacts. Could you explain what your mistake was and how we handled this? And they're, yeah, and they're, they began to just explain. And we were able to, in that meeting, actually come to a scenario where we could redesign this thing. And we made, the, we made it in a month. Now, that's, that's just the way life works. And that's become just more and more just the way that I naturally handle things. It's something that God has really changed in me because that is not the way I was. And, you know, as I look forward, as I, as I, as I close the talk today, as I look forward, you know, I have no uh, delusions about myself. I have, like I said, I've got lots of things I got to learn and I got lots of, I just, I just, I just know there's so much more that I need to learn. But this and that area, that's something I really learned. And that, the way it, all those things work together where you, you're in a situation, you're in the Word of God, and you listen, you hear, you read, you memorize, you really meditate. It makes all the difference in how things turn out. And so I'd like to end with a quote by John Newton, which is he's the, he's the man who uh, wrote the song Amazing Grace uh, that we started with on the series. But he said this. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I think that it just captures where each one of us, where each one of us are and what God has hopes for us. And if we will listen to him and pay attention to him and really learn from him in the areas that he specifically showing us through the pressure he puts in our lives, we will become more and more really who we want to be, more and more who we hope to be, and more and more who we ought to be, and to make all the difference. So, you know, God is working in each of our lives right now to help us grow, and he wants us to keep growing. And so so that when people get around our lives, as we grow, that they would say, you know, they remind me of somebody. they I think they've been spending some time with Jesus. And so with that, I just, uh, I'd like to, there's some, maybe some next steps. As you think about the things we talked about this morning, you know, maybe for you, maybe just remembering the relationship that you have with God. And really this, it's through the basis of grace that, that you're interacting with Him. Maybe that's the next step for you. And maybe this morning, your next step, maybe it's just, looking at where the pressure is right now in your life and just you know where is it that God's really trying to get my attention? What is it that God, uh, what is the area that God is really trying to teach me something? And then for uh, maybe your next step is just to, to build the habit in one of those five areas we talked about. Hearing, 
the Word of God, being in places where you can hear it, uh, really having a daily reading of His Word, getting that habit into your life, studying key things, memorizing key things, and meditating, really thinking through how that relates to your real life. Maybe that's where you're at. So this morning, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. And if you haven't finished filling out your connection cards, uh, you can go ahead and fill those in and drop them in the offering bucket when it comes around. And uh, let me pray for us. Dear God, Father, I'm, I'm so grateful that you did not leave us in the dark. But God, one of the greatest expressions of your grace is the scriptures that you preserve through time so that we can understand you and understand what you want. God, I pray that you would impact each one of us by your grace today, that each one of us would know how much you love us and each one of us would make progress. In Jesus' name, amen.